Oh, the depths, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And we, we know that one of the things that Jesus has done is brought us to a place where God is wonderfully, beautifully knowable. It's a real privilege of the Christian faith that our faith is about a personal, deep, living relationship with God. A lot of people who have just got better rules than other people. There are people who have been brought into an intimate connection to God, that God has made himself knowable. He's revealed himself. But even though God has made himself knowable, this doxology, this burst of praise is telling us that we can't completely and utterly grasp God, that God is actually infinite and what he understands is beyond human capacity. And so it's like Paul is bringing this burst of adoration and praise when he's saying, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. It's kind of like worship, it's wonder, it's joy, it's surprise, it's who God is and what God knows and how God sees and the nature of God and the capacity of God blows his mind and he's in awe and wonder about God. That word, oh, is like, God, you're taking my breath away. You take my breath away because when I begin to think about who you are and I begin to put language to who you are, I'm overwhelmed by who you are. Well, that's the kind of relationship we want to have with God, a, a relationship of awe and wonder where we, we, we say, we, uh, I get glimpses of how good you are. I get glimpses of how glorious you are. I get glimpses of how loving you are. I get glimpses of how faithful you are and kind you are and majestic you are. But I, I get glimpses, but you are infinitely beyond anything I could ever comprehend. You are unfathomably deep. In other words, unfathomable means you can't go from the surface of God to the bottom of God. You can't go from the surface of, as it were, the deepest ocean and that one day you could fathom the depths and understand God. He's so deep that even when we've been there a thousand years, as we've been singing this morning, we still won't completely grasp the knowledge and the wonder and the glory of who he is. He's beyond fully finding out. He's infinite. He's eternal. 
there's always more to discover about who he is. That's why Christianity should never become boring. If we're bored with God, is it Mark Twain says, if you're bored with London, <laughs> you've got a problem. Being actually, if you're bored with God, if God no longer excites us, we think we've got him nailed, we understand him, that's a really big symptom of a problem because we think we've got God nailed, then we haven't understood that God is beyond our ability to comprehend. His knowledge is amazing. I'm just going to read you some quotes from some people as they've talked about God. He, God knows deep and hidden things. Things that we have no idea about. He knows fully. I don't understand science that much, but they tell you that the universe is expanding. I mean, does it hurt your head to think we live in a space that goes on and on and on and on and on and that you're not going to bounce off the walls of the limits is, is going on? That things that we know, in part, God knows fully and that he has complete knowledge and understanding. Like right now, what, there's seven point something billion people on the planet, don't know how many phones there are, computers there are. He knows every recorded fact now, instantly, on every hard drive, phone, computer, in all the books, in all the libraries of all the world, he knows it all without having to kind of think to get it. He knows it. I mean, he knows everything that's happening on the earth right now. He knows everything that's happening in the atmosphere and everything that's happening in space and every galaxy and planet. So he knows this huge galactic knowledge but then he can go really small and he can know about every molecule and atom. And he knows all the events that happen in human history. He knows all the events that are happening in human minds and all the events that are happening in human wills right now. I mean, there's... 7.1 billion people on the planet now and he knows about every single person everything that's happening every thought every will every action every activity he knows it all and not just the 7.1 billion who are alive now but the billions who have ever lived on the planet he has complete understanding of it all he knows every single person's emotional life and spiritual life and he knows it all experientially and firsthand as well through Jesus God becoming fully man so he doesn't just know about us as somebody knows about from a distance he knows as one who's been there who's known what it's like to be perplexed and who knows what it's like experientially to experience rejection. He's been there. He knows it all from the incarnation. He knows 
all the thoughts and he knows all the choices and all the feelings. I mean, that's a really powerful thing to know that you're known. That the one who knows all of this personally knows you too. He knows every event, all the past and the present and the future events because you know that God doesn't dwell inside of time. You know, God doesn't live like you and me. I go from event to event to event and I'm only in one moment at one time because I, as and you, are restricted by the reality that we live in time. God doesn't live in time. He, he can, that's how he knows it all, because he's outside of time in eternity. And so he can see the beginning, the middle and end, all at the same time of every single issue that affects us, which is why he is the God of all hope, because hopelessness is a form, ultimately, I guess, of living in time and not knowing how it all could work together for good. Whereas if you dwell outside of time and you see the whole thing all the time, it's easy to be the God of all hope. He, he knows how all the facts of the past, present and future, he knows how they all relate to one another. He sees it all and he can see in absolute perfection the chain of events that flow from one event and he can see how it all works perfectly together for good and ultimately to his glory Forever Amen, Paul finishes that bit. So I want us to be in awe of a God who can be like that without straining his mind. It changes the way we pray to him. Because we think that prayer is somehow informing God of what he didn't previously know. And then asking him to act on our behalf as if he's unable to comprehend before we prayed. Prayer is a relational thing of I'm coming to a good father to express in the midst of my life how much I need to encounter the one who is rich in wisdom and knowledge. So God knows all this without the slightest strain of his mind. So we're left marvelling, astonished and in wonder at his perfect knowledge of everything. And then Paul says, he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So it's one thing to have knowledge about everything. That's amazing. You know, some, a being who's good and knows about everything. But it's this next thing of, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's the fact that he has this deep, unfathomably deep knowledge And at the same time, he has incredible wisdom. So wisdom means he has perfect, comprehensive mastery of what he knows. So he knows everything and he knows perfectly what to do with everything he knows. And when you couple that with he is love... And he is good. You then have a being who knows everything, sees everything, is outside of time. 
and the wisdom to know exactly what to do with what he knows. He knows how to perfectly take what he knows. And so he's perfectly aware of all the facts and wonderfully aware of what to do with all the facts that he knows. And so he can think, he can act, he can plan out of complete and perfect knowledge. So you're coming to a person who's good, omniscient, knows everything, has all wisdom and has absolutely every angle on everything perfectly and wonderfully covered. That's why Paul says, oh, oh. That's why there's this burst of awe and wonder and joy and surprise. It means that he's never caught off guard. Or he's never surprised. And so we suddenly realise that we can't tell him anything that he doesn't already know. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counsellor? So we're living in these little moments and these pockets of time. And he's not subject to that and knows the whole thing. And he sees these moments and these pockets of time and the things that we face and the things that happen. He sees the good, the bad and the ugly. And we as creatures in the moment in time think, what on earth are you doing? Anybody ever faced anything like that? Read one guy whose prayer was this. God, you're a sadist. Guy leading a large church in America. Why? Because in the moment of time... When there's one thing after another thing after another thing and there's no relief, what are you doing, God? Sometimes when we're in the moment and we want God to act, do Something. Do anything. Just do something. And this verse then says, Oh, the depth 
of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable your judgments and your paths beyond tracing out. This is, we're coming into the deep place of when we're facing mystery and disappointment and heartache and perplexity and confusion and injustice and we're wondering what God is doing and where is God and everything in us cries out, do something or I'm going to do something. (laughs) You do something or I'm doing something. And, And the Bible the, Paul who suffered shipwreck and imprisonment and injustice and rejection and beating and suffering and planted churches who turned on him and rejected him says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable your judgments. I can't. I can't go from the top of the ocean to the bottom and work out what you're doing in this. I can think about it, I can talk about it, I can reason about it, I can strategize, but I can't fathom you out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? You see, sometimes when we think you should do this, God, and if I were God, I'd be a better God than you because I would have got this sorted because I know what to do. We think that, but we live in a moment of time and we have no idea of how this connects to that and that connects to this and where this could go and what it would look like. All we see is the moment and the pain and the need. And you know, in those moments, it's not wrong to look for a breakthrough and it's not wrong to look for a change and it's not wrong to look for the intervention of God to heal, to provide, to open things up. But to be human and for him to be God means there are moments where all we can say is, oh, your paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known your mind? Who has completely grasped who you are so that I could be your counsellor? That's why... The book of Job is such a painful book of, what, 30-something chapters of the friends dialoguing, accusing and blaming and saying what God is like and saying this happened because of this. And, and then God turns up and says, who was this who darkens? <laughs> you, know, you don't know anything. You know nothing. Where were you when? Because we want quick, easy, packageable answers. Things that we can blame, whether it's circumstances, ourselves, other people. But there's a place of peace and rest when we say, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been your counsellor? Have you ever come across, God, a situation where you didn't know what to do? Because I think I've got one for you. (laughs) Because it seems right now your inactivity suggests you have, for the first time in eternity, 
hit something where you don't know what to do? Or do we ever come to the place instead of saying, you know what, I don't know your mind. I know that you're good and I know that you love me, but I can't be your counsellor because you don't need me to be your counsellor because you have unfathomably deep knowledge of everything and incredible wisdom to know what to do in everything. So all I can really do in this is be in awe and wonder and say, oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. You don't need as much help as I thought you did. I can't give you anything that you don't already have. You're never in my debt. Can I just, I'm going to read you, this is an old Chinese proverb, it's not the Bible, it's got huge flaws in it, it doesn't cover everything, but it gives you an interesting, an interesting perspective on how to look at life. There's an old story about a wise man living on one of China's vast frontiers. One day, for no apparent reason, the young man's horse ran away and was taken by nomads across the border. Everyone tried to offer consolation for the man's bad fortune. But his father, a wise man, said, What makes you sure this is not a blessing? Months later, these months later, his horse returned, bringing with her a magnificent stallion. This time, everyone was full of congratulations for the son's good fortune. But now his father said, what makes you so sure this isn't a disaster? <laughs> Their household was made richer by this fine horse. The son loved to ride, but one day he fell off this horse and broke his hip. Again, everyone offered their consolation for his poor bad luck. But his father said, what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? A year later, nomads invaded and every able-bodied man was required to take up his bow and go into battle. The Chinese families living on the border lost nine out of every ten men who went to fight. Only because his son was lame did the father and son survive to take care of each other. Often what appears to be success or a blessing is actually a terrible thing and what appears to be a terrible thing can even turn out to be a rich blessing. I don't think God sends sickness to teach us a lesson and I don't think he, he Jesus when he came showed very clearly that Sickness was the enemy, death was the enemy, he rose the dead, he opened the blind eyes, he cleansed the leper, he healed people. What I'm thinking here is sometimes in our, in our narrow moment, we, we call certain things disaster and certain things blessing when sometimes when we take a step back and, you know, it can work. I think this, this little, little proverb works brilliantly on things like, I didn't get the job. Mm. You know, those sort of things. I don't... I think it has huge limitations on real mourning and sickness and really 
things like that. So don't take it too far. But I'm just thinking sometimes we have an idea of I'm following Christ and it's gonna, everything's going to go swimmingly. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get that situation. Every, and, and, and sometimes, and we all know it, we face things where we didn't get the job we thought we were going to get. The situation didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. The breakthrough was longer t- coming than we thought it was going to take. Sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of things and we think this is an utter disaster and I can't see how God's going to work it together for good where I am right now. And, and I think what these, these verses say is, in the midst of that, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counsellor? That we can come and say, God, in the midst of this, what if this space that I'm in right now, what if outside of time you see how it all goes together and you bring me through to a place that is beyond my imagination with you? What about, even if I think that thing that I'm, the pain I'm feeling right now, that you're not the author of it and you didn't send it, but what if in the capacity of your, the depths of the knowledge and the wisdom of God that you can even take that which has its roots actually in sin and rebellion and godlessness that you're not the source of, but you in your wisdom can even take stuff that you're not the source of and you can weave it and bring something out that brings me to a place I could have never imagined ever occupying because you're the redeemer and you're the healer and you're the one who works it together for good. So somehow it's that tension of we're looking for the God of the breakthrough. We're looking for the God who heals. We're looking for the God who comforts. We're looking for the God who makes a way where there is no way. We're looking for the God who opens red seas for us. We're looking for the God who does all these things. And at the same time, in their momentary afflictions and the things we're facing where it's not yet changing, was holding the belief that he can change it, heal, breakthrough, provide... And at the same time holding, you are unfathomably wise and you know everything, you redeem everything and you see it all and how it all works together. To live in that kind of capacity, I think is where we begin to enter into a space of peace that transcends even our ability to understand. Because we're trusting in one who does understand. And I think this is what it means to walk where Jesus says, don't worry about your life, today has enough trouble of its own. And I think this is how believers begin to change the world. Not just by being people who are the most blessed on the planet, But being those in the midst of life know how to navigate life in such a way of such a depth of knowing, they're able to say, oh, the glory, the awe, the wonder of walking with one who knows everything completely. It's a deeply humbling process to walk with God like this. Realising there's always more to learn. 
that the appropriate response to God is a heart of wonder and awe. So I, I want to end it with this thought. When we hold on to the need to be in control and understand everything and be God's counsellor and judge God and tell him how to run the universe, we, we constrict ourselves to imprisonment and we bounce off the walls of our frustration and our irritation and our anger and our need to be in control. But then in this cell, there's a little crag in the rock. And every part of you knows that if you were to step into that crag in the rock and go through it, there's the most liberating, wide open space in the universe. But whilst we want to be God and remain in control and be his counsellor and him be our butler, while we want to understand everything and we feel entitled to be in control of everything, while we feel we're the definers of what is success and what is failure and the timetable of God, Friend, we say that we're just going to spend the remainders of our life imprisoned. But there's a moment where we look and we see the gap in the wall and we think, I've had it with this. I've had it. With believing the lie that we can tell God how to run the universe. And the only way to go through the wall is only one way. You have to completely, utterly abandon yourself and surrender yourself in trust to the one who knows. If you go through the wall thinking, I'll go through the wall and then I'll understand, then you've not even begun. If you say, I'm going to go through the wall and then I'll get perspective and I'll see how you're going to work it together for good, and I'll, and I'll have a this or that, then you haven't begun. It has to be a, I'm coming to Christ, because in Christ alone are the answers that I need, and not even the answers to the questions I'm facing now. It's I'm going through, because there's an abounding, abundant, open space of Christ on the other side. And so you lay down your right to control, your right to understand, your right to dictate, your right to be his counsellor. And you lay it all down and you say like Job, I thought I knew you, but now I've seen you. And I'm going through. And, 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 and even going through is not a work. He brings you through. You can't even get yourself through the wall. <laughs> You don't even know how to go through the wall. I don't know how to go through. I don't know how to surrender. I just know that I don't want to bounce here. And you know he's going to bring you through to a beautiful place. And you know what? 
I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you make second things first, understanding, getting the breakthrough, getting the healing, getting comprehension of something, getting justice, you make second things first, he says, you lose both second things and first things. You lose everything. But if you make Christ first over everything, wonderfully, amazingly, so often you get both second things and first things. But to get them, you have to lay down all the secondary things. That's what it is to follow Christ. Lay it all down. The disappointment, the injustice, the entitlement. It's not fair. Why did that happen? You mourn and process and talk. Do all the talk and don't bury Deal with your emotions and your feelings. Deal with them fully, completely. This, the gospel is not anti-feeling. God, you read the Bible, God feels a lot. A lot. He weeps, he's outraged, there's holy anger, there's a whole load of real emotion. I'm going to pray for us, Jesus. We thank you that the Bible... The gospel, this relationship, isn't a whistling in the dark kind of faith. It's not a kind of numbing of stuff. You can face things straight on. But the ultimate resting place is that you are beyond our ability to wrap our minds around you. And God, as we enter into a new year with all the opportunities and possibilities, we say, take us through to that place where Christ is enough. Where we say, I don't actually need to understand. I want Christ. I have to have Jesus. And so you're going to take us through because we can't even get through in our own disciplines. Jesus, you said to Peter, follow me, and I'm going to take you where you don't want to go. No no one sticks that on the church. And so even right now, God, if you've taken us where we didn't want to go, help us to have a response like Peter that says, you know I love you. Jesus, you are so real. And Jesus, where we've been living in a restricted cell and bounced off its walls, you are God, and and it seems a funny thing to say, but you have 
permission, maybe you're saying it in my own life and you say to him as you want to, to take me through the wall. To take me to the other side where it's expansive with you. And Jesus, I lay down my right to understand and I lay down my argument with life. I'm not your counsellor. I'm not your coach. You are God. And so as this year unfolds, we thank you for the promise in Christ that we were born for deep, intimate, satisfying enjoyment of God. And just to get there, we say to come to Christ is not just a one-time story. When I was 20, came to Christ in a big meeting. No, coming to Christ is a daily thing. I'm coming to Christ. I'm coming to you even now for the deep satisfaction that's found in trusting the one who's unfathomably knowledgeable and deeply wise. I trust you. I trust you to work it all together for good. I trust you in the moment where it's most dark that you are gloriously, wonderfully active. That you know what you are doing. You are so faithful and you are so good. And Jesus, I recognise as well the one who in Gethsemane said, if this cup can pass, I recognise the one who sweated blood because in your humanity it was agony and you were filled with anguish. So we recognise the one we love is the God-man. He's not looking for us, he's <coughs> stiff upper lip, stoical, gritting our teeth, the one who knows us, who's been where we are. You can cope with all that we are, but we thank you for the invitation, God, that you're taking us to a deeper place with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen.